0: Happy New Year again, this is uh, a special day for the church and for me as well, it marks uh, my 10th year to the day, I think, being in this pulpit as teaching pastor, so turn to John 4 and we're going to read together the scripture, appreciate opportunity to preach, appreciate all of you, it's interesting, it's 10 years later, I only added 5 years to my life, but... Yeah, so I'm excited to bring you the word this morning for many reasons, but for God's glory is always the ultimate purpose. Chapter 4, is it up there? Yeah, great. Gospel according to John, chapter 4, verse 46, hear the word of the Lord. It goes on, okay. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Well, you know what? Let's go back up to 43. I'm sorry. That was 46. 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he has done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they, too, had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at at, uh, Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he had began to get better, and I asked him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all of his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word um, this morning. So we're going to stay in John 4. We're going to dismiss the kids for uh, Children's Church. You guys can go, and teachers can go, and then we're here in John 4. May God's blessing be upon you, too, as you go and learn about Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today. We're going to learn about Jesus. We're going to ask Jesus to reveal himself to the power of his spirit so we could see him and love him as he really is. So we're in John 4. Wrapping up chapter 4. Chapter 4 Great chapter of Scripture begins with an encounter with a Samaritan woman. Jesus offers her living water. I'm trying to move the screen if I can. Okay. Offers her living water, as you see in chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4. Jesus offers her living water. Then Jesus brings it to the place and teaches her about proper worship. She becomes then a, a bold witness. And this morning we're going to be looking at uh, uh, Jesus on the move, but they're looking for and seeking wonders and signs. So you have living water, proper worship, bold witness, and seeking wonders. It's a good time, I think, as we look at this narrative together this morning, I think it's a good time to remind you, we'll do this from time to time, what the reason and the purpose and the goal of this gospel John's account of this gospel, he gives it to us clearly in his word. He says to us in John chapter 20, verse 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, believing, you may have life in his name. So John had choices to make. John had sat down, thought through the life, empowered by the Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he had choices to make as he documented the life. He carefully and deliberately put together this gospel account, leaving some stuff out with this purpose in mind. All the signs and wonders, he writes, and the miracles are written in his book for the sole purpose of believing and trusting in who Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, the Son of, meaning of the same nature, God Himself, the second person of the Trinity. And by doing so, and by believing, you have eternal life in His name. That's what He says. Jesus reveals God, the truth about God, the truth about us, and He offers eternal life. The invisible made visible. That's really important. I I want to just tell you all this morning and remind you all this morning That all of us have faith. All of us this morning have faith. The question becomes, who is our faith in? What is our faith in? Atheists, agnostics, those who deny the existence of God, have faith. They believe in something. They hope in something. They trust in something. So if you're here this morning, and you're alive, and I hope you are, you have a faith. You have a faith. You are, you are believing, trusting. The question is, what is the object of what you trust in? What is the object of what you cling to? What is the object of what you believe in? That's the question for us this morning. And we're going to see as, as, as this narrative unfolds that this man's faith that we're going to see just explodes. It is God's desire for you this morning that your object of your faith is not in yourself or in anything else, but in Jesus Christ, who is the one and true God, who came to us to reveal the Father and to die for your sins and rise victorious three days later. later. Okay, that's, that's where we're going. Faith, trust, what are you trusting in, what are you believing in? All of us have it, but God wants you this morning to see the glory and, and majesty of Jesus Christ and place your trust, Place your faith in him as the object of your faith. Now, we're going to jump right into the text, but I just want to draw your attention. I hope this map, I didn't really look. Okay, can you see that a little bit? I'll point out. This is, this is where we're at. So here is Samaria. We're going to be looking at it in a minute, okay? Here's Jerusalem is down here, Judea. Jerusalem, the city, um, the, you know, the city of Jerusalem and uh, the outskirts, it's called Judea. Here's Samaria. Remember, Jesus could have went around Samaria, but he went straight through. And up here is Galilee. See the Sea of Galilee. Okay, Galilee right there. Now, if you can't really see, uh, let me show you the next picture. Yeah, okay, it's a little bit better. Okay, so here's Nazareth in Galilee. Okay, um, let me go back one more thing. I want to show you something real quick. Now, here is Sychar. We're going to talk about that in a minute. In Samaria, okay? All right, good. Let me move forward. Okay, so this is Galilee, and I want you to see this. Here is Cana. Here is Nazareth. Remember, down here is where Samaria and Jude. And over here is the Sea of Galilee. Look, right there. Capernaum. See it? So this is the route. We're going to see that this morning. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to look at this seeking of wonders, and I want to jump right into the text. I want to give you the first um, introductory statement, or at least the, the first point, uh, is called the spurious welcome. We'll jump right into the text because there's a context to the text, and I want you to see that. So under the first heading of our narrative this morning, the spurious welcome, now look what it says, Jesus left Samaria, remember, he stopped there on his way from Jerusalem, he was in Jerusalem, he was in the countryside of Judea, he was on his way to Galilee, and he went right through Samaria, because remember from last week, he had a divine appointment, there was a woman at the well uh, in Sychar, uh, the well of Jacob, that Jesus was there to meet, okay, okay, He brings her to the place of self-revelation. I am the Messiah, he tells her. He stayed there after that for two more days. If you have your Bibles, you can see it at the bottom of um, verse 39 and following. Uh, He stayed there two days. He he revealed himself to her. And then he stays in Sychar. He was passing through, but he wound up staying because they said, stay with us for two days. And she's like, okay, I'll stay there. And he stays there for two days. Now, we don't know exactly, the scripture doesn't teach us, tell us what, what this conversation had taken place in Sychar, in Samaria, that Jesus was going through, met the divine, had the divine appointment, and then he stayed there for two days. We don't have it, exactly what he said, but I'm gonna, I think, I want to go out on a limb a little bit, okay? Because we know that this Samaritan woman at this divine appointment was an immoral woman, an outcast of society. She came to the well alone. And Jesus, in love and in grace, exposes her sin to herself and then offers her living water to drink. She goes back to the city of Sychar telling everyone about this Jesus that extends even grace to her the outcast, the immoral one, that God's love and God's grace was extended to even to her. They come out to see Jesus. He stays two more days, and at the end, it says here, if you look at the text, uh, at the end of, of chapter four, uh, in the middle of chapter four, uh, let's see, verse, okay, look at verse 42. He's there two days, and all of a sudden, it's indeed he is the savior. You're the savior of the world. Now, again, She's saying, I'm an immoral outcast. That was her testimony to the city. And this Jesus in love and grace extends living water to me. He's there for two days, and they're like, He's indeed the Savior of the world. I think it's fair to say that Jesus went there and preached the gospel. That the gospel was proclaimed. And now notice, I said this last week, and it's a very important you see it this morning as well. Not one miracle, not one testimony, excuse me, sign took place in Samaria that John wrote for us. Okay? I know it's hard to argue from nothing there, but John, for some reason, said they were just all about the truth, the testimony, the word. Look with me at verse twenty-five, chapter four. The woman said to him, "I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us, tell us all things." Verse twenty-six. Jesus said to her, "I, who speak to you, I'm that one. I'm the Messiah." Verse 28, the woman leaves her water jar, goes back into the town, and what does she do? She says, come and see a man who told me all that ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse 39, many Samaritans came from the town and believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many more believed, verse 41, because of his word. 42, they said to the woman, it "Is no longer because of what you said. We believe, for we have heard ourselves, and we know now indeed this is the Savior of the world. So I, I, You have to see that in this text. You have to see that the testimony was, was, was spoken, that the truth was proclaimed. Jesus told them who he was. He shared the gospel. He's the Messiah. I forgive. I give living water. This is who I am. That's the immediate that's the text, context. Now, if you go back to chapter 2, though, And I'm going to wrap this up. You're going to see where I'm going with this. Back in chapter 2, after Jesus performs his first miracle in Cana, remember he turns water into wine, he goes down to Jerusalem, and the Bible says that he performed many miracles in Jerusalem as well. Chapter 2, miracles. Cana, Jerusalem. At the end of chapter 2, verse 23, if you have your Bibles open, it says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that were being done signs in cana water into wine signs in jerusalem many believed in him and then john writes with chapter 2 verse 25 uh, 24 but jesus miracles in cana miracles in jerusalem but jesus on his part chapter 2 verse 24 on his part did not entrust himself to them hmm because he knew all people and needed no one to bear testimonial witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. The point is, and literally it says, Jesus did not believe their believing. He did not entrust himself to this spurious uh, converse because he knew that to exercise faith simply on a sign, simply on a miracle, simply on the wonders, was, was dangerous, to say the least. In fact, the spurious faith of signs and wonders in chapter 2 Brings us to chapter 3 with Nicodemus, the religious Bible thumper. He says to him, Rabbi, it comes to him at night, you're a teacher of God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. Okay? So let me put this in perspective because this is important. Chapter 2, Jesus performs miracles. Cana, water into wine. Galilee is where Cana is. That's where he's going. He's going to Cana. Okay? And he does signs in Jerusalem. Then he issues a warning about putting your faith in, in just signs in one, There's this spurious faith because I don't trust you. I, I, I don't trust that, he says. And then all of a sudden, chapter four, all these people are coming to faith. There's a revival because of the word, the testimony, the truth claims of Jesus and all who he says he is. Chapter two, miracles and signs. I'm not trusting that. Chapter three, chapter four, this, this miraculous revival because of the preaching of the word. Now look at verse 44 of our text. After the two days, he departed from Galilee. He was in Sychar. Great revival. Testimony, witness, reveals himself. Many people come to faith. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Verse 44. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet had no honor in his hometown. Stop one second. If you are here today and you have an NIV... Cool, I use them from time to time. Verse 44 says, now, cross it out. In your Bible, cross it out, you have my permission. That's not what it says. It says for, since, because. So he leaves two days, he heads for Galilee because Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honor in his own town. Hmm. So when he comes to Galilee, the Gal- Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. Does anybody see a problem with that? I'm going to Galilee, because in my hometown, that's where Cana was, that's where Nazareth is, that's where uh, Capernaum is. I'm going there because I don't have no honor in my hometown. Hmm. There's a lot of reasons why Jesus would go. We're going to see it to reveal himself. But why would they say that they welcomed him? There's no honor in my hometown. What kind of welcome does a prophet receive in a town that gives him no honor? That's a good question, right? Look at the text. Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast for they too had gone to the feast. The welcome was on account of his miracles. You know, the miracles, the one that Jesus said, I'm not entrusting myself to these people. I, I know them the, the, the sign seekers, the wonders. That was his welcome. Look at verse 46. It's just like an afterthought. Oh, John just writes, oh, by the way, he was in Cana. Oh, you know, the place where the water was turned into wine. No, know that miracle. So this, this hometown saw the miracles of Jerusalem. This hometown saw the miracle in Cana. Do you see what he's trying to show us? This welcome was not a welcome of faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a homeboy welcome of a guy who does miracles. Sure, the Galileans welcomed him. But it wasn't because he was the Messiah. Is because they saw his miracles in Jerusalem. They saw what he did in Cana. And you can almost see Jesus coming into town. Everyone knows the miracle workers here. And they got this big ticket tape parade going on. This guy is unbelievable. We had no water. We had no wine. He, he just, wow, you should see him in Jerusalem doing all kinds of signs and wonders. See what they were doing? That's a dishonor. I mean, they might even have some wine left over. I read one commentary that mentioned. I thought it was funny. You know, six water jars with, with 20 or 30 gallons, a lot of wine. I mean, unless you're feeding the whole town for several weeks. Who knows? Maybe they had a. Remember this? You did this, man. You're, you're, you're one of us. Remember, you came from around here. Jesus knows what dishonor is. The dishonor is, what can you do for me now, Jesus not the honor of his word, his personhood, as the savior of the world like Sychar, instead of displaying true belief in him because of his undeniable claims, his power in himself pointing to who he really is, they are welcoming him and, and, and bringing him in with a, with a homeboy welcome because of his miracles. The reception of Galilee was a reception that was shallow, inquisitive, thrill-seeking, sign-based curiosity. Using Jesus to get stuff. Missing the person while being enamored with the glamour. (laughs) Do we use Jesus to get stuff? Do we use Jesus just to, to, to get stuff? John Piper says this, they use him, they use his power they use his fame, and his fame feeds their pride. And so they don't honor him for who he is, even though they think they are. You know, sometimes we can get so caught up on preaching styles, music styles, dress culture of the church, um, uh, theological perspectives, things that are, that are good, per se, but they sometimes get, we get so enamored by it that we, we miss the cross, and we miss the, desperate need of grace from god that we need we have a propensity then to get to jesus come to jesus when we want bigger stuff more stuff it's really not about him his glory it's about our ego if we're honest or maybe maybe you're here this morning and the dishonor is more of a oh hum i heard this story before yeah we're talking about jesus Yeah, yep, heard all the story before. What good could come out of Nazareth? That's what Nathanael said in chapter 1. Matthew 13, the people of Nazareth where Jesus grew up, all like, really, really, Jesus? We know that kid. You know what? He has no formal training. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a scribe. In fact, his brothers and sisters are here with us. They're not all that bright either, to be honest. How dare he go around? How dare he say... How dare he speak with that authority? How, poss- how can it be possible to act that way and to have that kind of authority? And maybe you're here this morning, you know, blah, 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 blah. Heard it all before. Jesus, yeah, that, he's one of many, many, many religious leaders who are trying to teach us what they think is right. Family, Jesus never claimed to be a miracle worker magician. A good teacher leading one of many ways and paths to God. If you're here this morning, you need to know that Jesus claims to be the invisible made visible. The one and only true God who took on flesh making possible the only way to be reconciled to the Father. My prayer as we move forward in this narrative is that your eyes and your hearts will be opened that there will be a miraculous change by the power of the Spirit of God and you will truly see who Jesus really is. This is not some ordinary man. This is not some great teacher. This is not some person trying to teach us one path to God. He is, according to himself and Scripture, the Son of the living God, Creator, Sustainer, Sovereign Lord, and King over the universe. Colossians 1, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, that's rule and authority, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether there are thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. All things were created through him and for him. We honor that in which we believe is worthy of honor. We honor and we glorify someone when we find that person beautiful within themselves. Beauty can't constrain you. You adore it. Your imagination is seized by it. You don't come to Jesus because he is helpful. You come to Jesus because he is beautiful. You don't come to Jesus because he is advantageous. You come to him because he's glorious. These Galileans welcomed him, but simply as a miracle worker. Curiosity seekers, eagerly hoping, waiting for a new miracle to take place, more astonishing deeds. And John writes a kind of an irony that he is not welcome in his own home, no honor, and yet they welcomed him. (laughs) Superficial and shallow, but what I love about this story is Jesus goes anyway. He knows. Got no honor. They're using me. I'm just a homeboy. regular Hebrew school, we went together. But because of love just and grace, just like the Samaritan woman, he wants to reveal himself to you this morning. And he wants him to reveal himself to this man that we're going to see, the sick son. Look at verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. We're Still going back to that miracle thing. And at Cap, uh, Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So he's in Cana, near Nazareth. Remember the, the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee is where Capernaum is, and he goes. Now there are all kinds of speculation who this guy is. The, the Greek word is basilikos. It means a noble one. He is one who is in charge of, or at least connected to the official of the basilios, which is a king. So he's a noble one connected to the king, some form, some fashion, to, guess who? Herod Antipas. Technically, he was called a tetrach. Many times in scripture, you see him called a king. So this man is informally under the leadership of Herod Antipas. Let, let's put that in perspective for a minute. You're like, who's that? I'll tell you who. His father is Herod the Great. Great guy, really nice guy. Finds out Jesus is born. So like, I can't find him. In fact, the the wise men, they lied to me. Kill every child, two and under. Like, you know, having a bowl of Frosted Flakes. That's, That's his father. Antipas comes on the scene after Herod dies. He's just as wicked. Jesus calls him the fox. This guy is the one who married his brother's daughter, his brother's wife, excuse me, and the daughter's dancing. He's so happy to see the little girl dancing. Whatever you want, give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. Not even just go and kill him somewhere, cut his head off and bring it to me. Real nice guy. That's his boss. I find that strange. I find in John 1 that Jesus' own people knew him not, received him not. I find Nicodemus a little aloof at this moment. But then we have the Samaritans, the half breeds the hated race of the Jewish people receiving him. Big revival goes on. And then Jesus comes to this man whose sole responsibility is to carry out the orders of wicked Herod Antipas. What is John telling us? If you come to Jesus with entitlements... Without honor, you will not get in. But if you come with him humbly, you come to him humbly, empty-handed, because we have nothing to offer, looking for grace and for mercy, you'll be received. This powerful man didn't send an entourage, which is interesting. He could have been in Capernaum. is th- about 25 miles away. And Capernaum is down by the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Cana is up, so you have to go up. I mean, Jesus is, where's in Canaan? All right, you three guys, get on your horse, go get him and bring him to me. Could have done that easy. Easy. Bring him to me. I hear the miracle workers in town. Bring him to me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't send his wife. He doesn't send the contingency. He goes himself. His son is sick. And he makes the several hour trip 25 miles up and comes to himself to ask Jesus for help. Look what it says in verse 47. He Asked him. Do you see that? He asked him. Great verb. It's, it's an imperfect tense. And what it means is NIV has begged him. That's good. New American imploring him. He kept on asking over and over and over. Heal my son. Heal my son. Heal my son. It was repetitive over and over and over again. It's amazing how many things we take for granted. I'm me too. Me too. That money, power, influence connections won't buy you. It's amazing. The nobleman, this royal ruler, was a man of wealth, power, influence. He could buy anything. He would lack nothing except one thing. His son is sick. It'll go on to say he had contracted a fever. His life was ebbing away. His strength was draining. His skin became pale. His eyes glassed over. Maybe even in a coma at this point. Here's a man of high kingly position, had everything, but his life, his son's life was ebbing away. And you know what? At that point, nothing mattered. He swallowed his pride and he came begging over and over and over again. This royal ruler came begging a carpenter's son, a carpenter himself. Can you imagine the scene? Noblemen don't ride in into a city in a small town without being recognized. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And here's this nobleman dressed maybe in military, if he was a military uh, uh, person or, or, or fine robes, and he's asking a carpenter's son, I need you to help me. Now, many of you have children. Some of you have grandchildren of a grandson. Man, what would you give if you saw your child, grandchild, Dying. You'd give anything, wouldn't you? That's what this man is. He's desperate. He is desperate. His son is dying. Verse 48. Jesus comes to him and says to him, he's begging, he's begging him, help me, help me, help me. He's dying, he's dying, he's dying. And Jesus turns to him and says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Hmm. Kind of weird, don't you think, a little bit? What you want to know, and it doesn't come out in the English, is he said to him, Jesus said to him, to the noble ruler, saying to him, you all, plural, all y'all, I'm talking to you, but all y'all, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Jesus looks right through This nobleman, this royal ruler, looks right through him, talking to him and then speaking to everybody in Galilee, the crowds that had come out to welcome him because of his signs, and wonders. And he says, unless you believe, you will not believe. You will not, unless you see miracles, you will not believe. And the people around him are drooling, man. We want to see something cool, man. Drop the stars from the sky. Do something. You may think, you know, I know Jesus had truth. He spoke truth. He is the truth. But you think, well, here's a, here's a broken guy, man. Here's a, here's a dude. I've just put myself in a position. One of my children, you know, and like, was that the most polite thing he could have been said? <laughs> was that the most, I mean, I, what, the, what the man wanted to hear is say, all right, I'll come with you. Take me to your son. That's what he wanted to hear. Unless That rebuke was full of grace. That light rebuke, I'm going to tell you this morning, was full of grace. C.S. Lewis, the one that said, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. What he means is that God brings things into our lives, hard things into our lives, and they turn out to be the most tender things we've ever faced. Jesus' response to this man and to the crowd was full of mercy, surgical, yes, but merciful. Merciful. Cutting to the real issues, signs and wonders will not save. Jesus trying to get him to stop looking at signs and begin to look at him. Get away from the sparkle, get away from the glitter, get away from the lights and trust in who John said the word became flesh and he was full of grace and truth. Now, in Mark, the gospel according to Mark chapter 7, uh, if you were here when we preached through that gospel, it a wonderful, wonderful gospel account. In Mark chapter 7, a Gentile comes, a non-Jew, so Seraphician woman comes to Jesus. She's begging him. Heal my daughter. She's demon-possessed. You know the stories in Mark 7. Heal him. And Jesus says to her, let the little children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But yet... Even the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And Matthew tells us in his gospel account, Jesus said, O oh woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Savitian Se- woman, great is your faith. And he turns and says, your daughter will heal. is healed. Be it done as you desire. Just like the royal ruler, Jesus... She doesn't get her hair up in a knot, her fangs don't come out. How dare you call me a dog? Who do you think you're talking to? She's like, listen, even the dogs get crumbs. There's enough for everyone in the world. I'm just here for mine. I know I'm not a Jew, but you are who you are, and my daughter needs you. <laughs> this ruler, same thing, humbly comes to him and says, you know, I'm not, coming, I'm not approaching you because I'm worthy. You are. I'm not approaching you because of how great I am. You are. I'm not approaching you because of how righteous I am, you are. My goodness doesn't matter, your goodness matters. And, and he just humbly comes, and Jesus takes him. And this, this comment, this, this, this light rebuke, if you can call it that, challenged this desperate dad to go beyond his self-interest and to recognize that Jesus is more than just a miracle worker. Jesus wants to reveal his true identity. Family, remember this. Miracles in the New Testament performed by Jesus is never meant to be all in of themselves. Miracles are not meant to be the only thing for miracles' sake. The miracles in the New Testament are to reveal the glory and the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that, okay? I, I, I don't usually do this, but I wanna share one more story in Mark 5, okay? I, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but Jesus is doing all this to point to himself, not to the miracle, John 5, great story. Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, son is sick, he's dying. He comes to Jesus and falls at Jesus' feet and begs him to heal his child. Jairus is in the same synagogue, if you just turn a page in the Gospel of Mark, that said that you're a man. The power you have, Jesus, and all those signs and wonder is of Satan. That's the same synagogue. Now the synagogue rule is falling at Jesus' feet. Why? You know what? I don't know where you're getting his power from. We said, Bazelba, but I don't really care. My kid is sick, and I need you to heal my son. I don't really care. Doesn't matter. Whatever. Bazelba, but doesn't matter. Satan, don't matter. You got the power. As he's doing that, a woman touches his cloak. Remember the story? And she's healed of her blood disorder. If you read that and you know about women who have blood disorder, they would do all this superstitious nonsense to try to stop the blood disorder because she was an outcast. She wasn't allowed into worship. She wasn't, everything she sat on was unclean. In that story, what is so cool about that story is Jesus calls her out Who touched me? And a woman has to confess it was me. Jesus says, daughter, your faith in me has healed you. Go. Not superstition, not all the nonsense you've tried in me. You came to me to touch and run. I just healed you. It's me, Jesus, the Christ, the son of God. Jairus, <laughs> he's like, come on, man, forget that woman. Let's go. Jairus, don't bother the master. He's dead. Really? Oh, I was hoping that he would do a miracle and just heal my boy. Jesus like, come with me. Let's go see him. Daughter, actually. Jesus kneels down. You remember the story? Talitha cum. Arise. You see, the, 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 the gyrus came that Jesus would just bring healing to his sick daughter. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm life. I give life. The woman came and said, I just need to touch this guy and I'm out of here. She's like, no, 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 no. Who are you? I'm the Christ. You see, same with here. It's not, Jesus could have said, let's go, but he didn't. Because Jesus wants to reveal more than just the miracle to the, to the woman, to, the, uh, to the, uh, the woman in Matthew 7, uh, because he wants to show who he is. That's what miracles are about. Showing forth his glory, his power, his authority. And then re- Jesus reveals grace to them. That's what, that's what the miracles are all about. Our good God and Savior is doing the same thing with this royal official. He's looking for Jesus, right? He comes looking for Jesus. He leaves Capernaum. He goes up to Cana. And he says, come, come, come down and heal my boy. (laughs) Do you know in antiquity, the healer needed to be present? So in other words, the miracle was connected to the person and the power of which was doing the healing. So obviously the man's like, look, I'll take you. Let's go see my son because I need you to be there so that you can touch him. Jesus says, no, I don't think so. Jesus refuses to be present because Jesus wants to, what? Show him the power of God and his glory. Look at the Savior's words, verse 49. The official said, come, 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 come. Come on down before my child dies. Uh, Listen, Jesus, I know everyone's seeking miracles right now. I really don't care. Just come with me quickly. My son is dying. Verse 50, Jesus says to him, go. Go. Your son will live. I mean, halt them, right? Really, my my, my son will live. He says, Jesus is saying, I'm not going with you, because obviously I'm not going. Go. I'm, I'm, I'm denying your request. I'm not going with you. But I will honor the request. Go, your son will live. Ball's in your court, man. What are you going to do? Jesus speaks. What are you going to do? The man believed. This is awesome. The word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. The man simply accepts the words spoken of Jesus and just, okay. Not like a, whoa, 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 whoa that was way too easy. <laughs> Give me something, you know, blow that rock up, I don't know, you know, have water come out of some. I don't know, but that was, I don't know, pull a rabbit out of your hat, something, like I'm, you just said, I, I want to see something. That's not what happened. <laughs> right? Unlike those who are wanting, looking for miracles, he just believes the word of the Lord. He speaks, and the fruit or the evidence of his faith at that point, the scene, he just turns around and walks away. You know, sometimes seeing isn't always believing. Sometimes, like Jesus said to at Lazarus' tomb, believe and you will see the glory of God. He went from come and heal my boy to this, okay, got my word, I'm out of here. No sign, no wonder, Nothing. Unlike in First Kings 17, Elijah, remember the story—he heals the boy who is who is dead. He throws his coat over him. He, he calls upon, you know, God, bring back life into this boy. Jesus don't have to do that. He don't call no higher power. He's not begging nobody. He don't even need to be present. Go, your son will live. It could have been 25 miles or 25,000 miles. Jesus has all authority and omnipotent power. Go, your son will live. Don't need to fall on him. Don't even need to be there. I just speak miles away and your son will live. Unbelievable. Verse 51. As he's going down, his servants met him and he told him, your son's recovering. Verse 52. So he asked him the hour when things got better. He said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Now again, I can't, I can't help but, I love narratives, I can't help but imagine this scene, right? He gets the word, your son will live. For some reason he stayed, he couldn't go, it, was, it must have gotten dark or whatever the reason may be, it could be a thousand reasons why he didn't leave right away. But the next morning he's going down from Cana down into Capernaum. The guy's heading back, the royal, you know, man is heading back. The servants on the other side, though, they're at the boy's side. They're watching him every the way. They're doing everything. He's dying. They're serving the family. They're helping mom out. They're like, this kid is like, he's got hours left. All of a sudden, at the seventh hour, fever vanishes. They don't know what's going on in Cana. It's Not like you got a text message. Oh, I just met Jesus, right? So they're like, hmm, no more fever. Really? Yeah, just, it left. All right. You know, looking over this kid, like, all right, let's see what happens. We don't know. A couple hours go by, they're like, he looks good. From dying, his fever's gone. All of a sudden, you know, it's nighttime, like, wow. You know, by the morning, he's so much better, and they're like, yo, let's go tell the boss. We got to tell him the good news, and they take off. And all of a sudden, they meet. What a joyful meeting that was. Your son is alive. The fever left him. Really, when? The seventh hour, huh? Ah, That was the day. That was the moment that Jesus said, your son will live. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There are these men rejoicing over this miracle that Jesus spoke. And when? The seventh hour. Slam dunk. It's immediate. It doesn't have to be there. He just speaks his word, and the boy is healed. You never see Jesus going like, all right, this one's going to be tough, man. (sighs) Come out of him. You know, you don't see that. You see him be gone. Done. You don't see him rolling up his sleeve like, oh, I hope I can do this one. This one's going to be rough. I'm going to be wrestling with this for a long time. He tells the wind and the seas to shut up and be still. Boom. Not only did the wind stop. But the sea, according to that scripture, if you read it in the the original language, the water that was slamming up against the rocks immediately became like glass. Like you could say, well, the winds just changed directions. That's not what happened. Jesus said, be still, and the the sea became like glass. That's the omnipotent power of Jesus Christ, right? No calling on higher power. His own omnipotent power. Our narrative this morning, family, is so important because it illustrates the purpose for which John wrote All the signs were written, all, excuse me, all the things that he has done, I pulled some signs, some miracles, so that you would believe not in the sign, but believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and believing, having life in his name. Notice the next in our text, 53b, and he himself believed all of his household. Okay, let's draw this back before we close, okay? Okay. I just want to step back for a moment here for a second. The royal soldier or the royal ruler comes to Jesus in distress, in pain, and in suffering. His son's life is ebbing away. He came to Jesus because he heard that he was back from Judea and he's now in Galilee. He had to be thinking, walk with me, family. He had to be thinking, where is he? He, He's where? Okay, okay. He's in Galilee, right now he's in Galilee. Okay, I, I, I'm gonna go. This rabbi, this, this man who has extraordinary power can heal my son, I'm going. Does that take faith? Yes. Yes, it does. Was it maybe shallow and imperfect? Absolutely. But isn't that where some of you are this morning? Do you believe? Uh, yeah, just shallow, a little imperfect, yeah. Is it more intellectual right now than wholehearted faith? Yeah, if I'm honest. I want you to know that's okay. Just like this man's faith, it must begin somewhere. And God wants to take your faith and and water it and watch it grow like a seed. It begins with information. Some people think, you know what, you faith, you guys have faith, you're a Christian, you're a believer in Jesus. Oh, I see, you put your brain on check, right? No more rationale, no more thinking through stuff. Like, you know, you're just the gullible one. no, that's not true. In fact, I'll, I'll say, as I said before, whether you are a religious or non-religious, all of us have faith. All of us believe in things that we do not see. If the question is, where do you put your faith? The question is, what is your worldview? Where do you get it from? Who made you? Why are you here? Those questions all of us have. The question is, is it true? Follow whatever, follow whatever your heart is clinging to. Whatever it's trusting in, you will find what you believe and what you think is true. If you have faith to go right through, you're in an intersection, you're in a major intersection, you're doing 55 miles an hour, and the light is green, you know, 32 bypass. I'm in the morning, every time I come down here early in the morning, it's dark out, and I'm, I'm doing 55, maybe 60, but that's as far as I go. And I'm down going 32, and the light's green. Believe me, I, I'm having faith to some degree that nobody's coming, that the light's red on the other side, can't see it. I'm trusting that if somebody comes, they're gonna stop at the red light when I go right through, okay? Truth and trust goes together. Now, the royal official knew he heard about Jesus. He believed it to some degree, and he trusted, though. He took a step of faith. No dad's gonna travel there if he didn't have some level of trust, some level of truth, and that sparked a commitment. I'm gonna go. He leaves his son's dying side. Who wouldn't wanna be there when your son dies? Knowing that I may not see him again takes a commitment on his part. Even if his faith and his trust and the truth of what he knew to be somewhat spurious, he made that commitment. If I only get to Jesus, that's rational thought. I'm going to go to him. That's commitment. Your son will live. That's truth greater faith and greater commitment that's what we see in this text over and over again we see in verse 49 excuse me we see in verse 47 i hear he's there verse 49 come you could do something Verse three, uh, excuse me, verse 51. he's going down, he hears and believes. It says, "Believe twice. What's happening? He's growing in his faith. He's trusting a little bit more each and every time. He's making a deeper commitment each and every time. Belief is coming into his life, and he's trusting and relying upon Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. This royal ruler gets abundance of grace. When he gets home and he's like, "Your son's alive." He walks in the house and he sees his boy. That's how faith increases. Truth, intellectual reason, but faith in what is known and revealed to us in Scripture, more truth, more grace, more commitment. More truth claims of Scripture, reading your Bible. Now, up to this point, the royal official was home before his son was sick, and he was trusting in something. that doesn't say. It could have been in himself. It could be in something else. Suffering has a way of stripping everything away from us and, and really showing us what we are trusting in, whether, it's, whether it could stand the fire or not. And many times suffering shows us how religious we really are. Oh, I'm not religious at all. Really? Suffer. Have see people that you love deeply suffer. We'll see how religious you really are. There are things that we rely on, there are things that we have faith in, there are things that we believe true and that we trust in for meaning, for significance, for for identity and when they crumble, we crumble. And it's in those times of suffering that we realize what those things are, what we're trusting in, what we're hoping in, what we're counting on, what we're relying upon. Here's Jesus And this is what Jesus wants to do for us this morning. He wants us to have faith in him and to increase our faith and our trust in him. Sometimes it's through suffering. You ever hear that stupid statement? We're gonna preach on the stupid statements of Christians one day. God will never give you more than you can handle. Really? Oh my word, yes he does. God often brings adversity and suffering into our lives that are way beyond our ability to handle it on our own so that we come and handle it and help, you know, broken and come to him so that he can do it. That we get, pride gets blown away. That our hope is in him and him alone. So that we can trust in him and him alone and not the other silly, stupid things we trust in. Such is the love of Jesus, this bountiful grace, never-ending mercy, his omnipotent power. This man was helpless and hopeless and desperate. Apart from Jesus Christ. But he trusted the word of the Lord. Do you this morning? Are you trusting in the word of the Lord? In the person and work of Jesus Christ? Verse 54, the last verse of the text says this. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. All right, it's the second sign of eight major signs that John shows us as proof that Jesus is the Messiah. And our narrative shows that there are miracles have their place, but they're always to the place of leading us to the person, to the work, to trust in who Jesus is. He's alive and well. He is sovereign Lord over the universe. It points to the reality of his perfect life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, so that we have total trust in him. That's what God wants to do for us this morning. And I will tell you in closing that the real strength of your faith, the real strength of your faith is not your own strength in the thing that you are believing in and trusting in, No. The real strength of your faith is measured on how strong the one in whom you are trusting. The one in whom you are relying on. The one in whom you are believing in. That's the strength of your faith. Because everything else other than Jesus Christ will crumble. Jesus alone will stand the test of time and will bring you through. So, The giving of the gifts, even getting your son back from the death, from dead, is never to replace the giver of the gifts. All the wealth, power, and prestige, relationship, even healthy children cannot, will not forgive you and reconcile you to the Father. It cannot and will not give you eternal life. The greatest gift of God to you this morning is the giver himself, Jesus Christ, the invisible made visible. If you've never trusted Him, if you've never believed in Him, if you've never relied upon Him as Savior and Lord, you're under the sentence of death. That's what the Scripture says, eternal separation from God. But just as Christ spoke and instantly brought life to a dying boy, He will instantly give you eternal life if you call upon His name. Family, you cannot save yourself. That in which you are trusting in, relying upon, believing on, is not true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you cry out to him by faith, he will give you life. Born again, he told Nicodemus. But we need to come humbly. We need to come humbly, as this man did. All the power, and wealth, and everything you have is empty. We come humbly. And the Lord feeds us and gives us living water. Matthew, chapter 12. With this, we'll go to communion. Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we see... Oh, no, no, excuse me. Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus said to them, An evil... An adulterous generation seeks for a sign, and no sign will be given it to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Again, miracles have their place. I pray for miracles. I've seen miracles. I I am not saying that there are no such thing that God doesn't do that. I am not saying that. What I am saying, though, is... All the power and might and glory and glitter that God can do in our midst is for one purpose and only, and that is to glorify, to know, to love, to treasure and to worship Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, believing on him and having life in his name. That's what I'm saying. We have to be careful. And that's what this table's about. That's what the table's about. What sign do you want? Three days in the earth, resurrection from the dead, ascension to the Father, received into the Father's presence as a full sacrifice and atonement for sins, accepted and and wonderfully offered to everyone who would come. The bread is the body that was broken. That's the symbol of the body that was broken on the cross. The cup is the blood, symbolic of the blood that was shed. Without the forgiveness of sins, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Do you know Jesus? If you're a Christian this morning, we invite you to come to the communion table. If you're not a Christian and, and you still I, I, I'm, I'm I want to be, I'm learning, I, 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 I need to have some questions, come and speak to me. Speak to any one of the pastors. Pastor Ricky's here as well. We'd love to talk to you. But if you're a believer this morning, or maybe you want to be a believer, and today's the day you're gonna confess your sins, repent of your sins, and trust in Jesus, then come. The band's gonna play. Spend some time in your seat. Confessing your sins quietly to yourself, repenting of your sins means to turn from your sins, and then when you're ready, come on up, grab the bread, symbolic of his body that was broken, the cup, which is the blood that was shed, and partake, celebrate the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It is his work and his person that we worship. We worship him, the one and true and living God. So let, let's go to confession, let's go into repentance, and when you're ready, you can come up and grab the uh, communion and say communion as a family, we'll do that. Father, it, it is easy, and, and I admit it myself, to be caught up in pride, be caught up in, in power, to be caught up in uh, wonders and just the next next state of emotion maybe, I don't know. But Lord, we, we really just want to just today together as a church say, you know what? Jesus is Lord. He is king. He is ruler. He's doing great things. He's healing the sick. He's is, he is doing awesome things. Lord, may we never, ever, ever get sidetracked on what he does in the miraculous, but get more blown away for the miraculous work he does by causing dead sinners to repent and to receive life, the greatest miracle that could ever take place. So Father, we pray as we confess and we repent of our sins, Lord, we pray that the miraculous power of new birth would be given to people who don't know you. We pray as your children that we would just remember his death and resurrection and Father, run to him and treasure him and love him and declare him and demonstrate him to a world around us. So Father, pour out your spirit on us. Bring healing to our souls. Help us to repent well and help us to celebrate Jesus.